Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind, as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of how to become a totalitarian dictator. Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, sometimes I surprise myself with my own generosity. Oh, I don't mean that I give people give money or diamonds, rubies. No, if I had all that stuff, I would save it for my old age, <laughs> which is rapidly approaching. No, I mean other things. I mean with the advice I give them. I know there are many people out there that aren't quite satisfied in their job situation. I don't know, maybe uh, you lost your job, you don't have any job. Maybe you do, but they're hassling you because of these vaccines, or they, they're, about, they're threatening to kick you out because you refuse to get vaccinated. I'll put that word in quotes. I think you know why I do that. Or maybe you're just not satisfied with your job. Maybe you have a steady job, but I don't know, insurance salesman, or maybe a sanitation worker, you work in a shop, or you're a doctor and dentist, and you think, maybe I'd like to do something different, something that's more special, not, not something run-of-the-mill, like a lawyer or whatever. No? Well, I'm going to give you some sound advice here, and I mean step-by-step, step, Anthony Robbins style, if you will. I could turn this into a book, actually. may make some money with it, but I'm giving it away to you for free. And I'm going to tell you what you have to do to become a totalitarian dictator. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. I don't know. I'm more leftist leaning. I won't be a fascist. Well, no. Leftists, you know, communists are totalitarians. Fascists are totalitarians. As I've said before in other podcast episodes, and as I shall say long into the future, totalitarianism could be fascism, it could be communism. That's why when you go to the extremes, whether it's extreme right or extreme left, there are two sides of the same coin. Nazism and communism. They see themselves as opposites and they would have us believe that they're opposites. No, no, they're not opposites. Not at all. They have so much in common. What's a Nazi? A national socialist. What are communists? Well, they're socialists too. And all socialists are collectivists. Extreme right, extreme left. There are two sides of the same coin, and that coin is called collectivism, totalitarian collectivism. But I'm going to tell you how to become a totalitarian dictator, and we're going to analyze this a bit. The sure steps, how can one do that? Okay, step by step. The first thing you must do, and I will call this the totalitarian success formula, if you want to be a fascist dictator, a communist dictator, any kind of dictator, you follow this formula, and this will get you to your goal. First of all, you must point out or create a problem. There must be a problem there. Let's go over this historically. What was Karl Marx preaching? There is a problem. The problem is capitalism, right? It's this exploitation exploitational capitalism. That's the problem. And he talked about it ad infinitum. He talks about it constantly. He wrote about it constantly. Capitalism, capitalism, capital. It's bad. Capitalism is bad to the point where 
you even have people in America that say, oh, yes, even not even such extreme leftists, oh, capitalism is bad. I always compare capitalism to a car. Cars pollute the atmosphere. That's true. Not even that. Not, not only that. They kill people occasionally. They kill people because people drive drunk or because people aren't paying attention or because a little kid just runs out of the street or because some kind of crazy fanatic decides to kill people by driving up over the side. Well, cars can kill people. But is that a reason to abolish all cars? No, it's not. It's a reason to say, okay, we have cars now. Yes, they can be dangerous, so we should have speed limits. Yes. And uh, safety precautions should be taken. You may not drive if you're high or if you're, if you're drunk. Yes, we should do that. And we have taken into account, well, with so many cars, some people are going to die. But look at the advantages of cars. So we keep cars around. They pollute the atmosphere. Well, let's think of more uh, economic ways to do it. I don't mean electric cars, where you're charging your car all night. And where does that electricity come from? Well, that comes from electrical power plants. And that can involve all kinds of things that pollute the atmosphere, right? So that doesn't make much sense. Besides which, if we do that, then if the powers that, uh, to the powers that be don't don't want us to have our freedom if they want to restrict us all they have to do is turn off the power and we can't recharge our cars oh, that makes it difficult right but yes cars can be a problem but they're not bad and just like capitalism capitalism in an ideal well let's say uh cars in an ideal form if they didn't pollute the atmosphere if they had such safety features that people wouldn't get killed in them well then be really great so let's keep improving cars let's keep improving capitalism i say because capitalism has created more wealth for more people than any system in, in all of history. Communism has created more misery, poverty, and death for people than any system in history. Now, of course, you can say, well, there's some uh, situations that are worse. At least communism often can feed its people. Even Nixon said about China, well, the Soviet, I mean, the, the, the communists in China, Mao Zedong, they might be evil, but they did succeed, at least for a while, to feed their people. It's going in that direction. But if that comes at the price of then, well, in order to keep things under control, you have to have a totalitarian government. It might be necessary to kill people. Under Mao, up to 100 million people died. Uh, that's not a good solution. And communism as economic system has always failed. It's never produced wealth and bounty. Never. It's never done that. Everybody is equally poor in the end, except those in power, and they have all the advantages, right? But for Karl Marx, it was capitalism big problem. What was it for Hitler? Well, you say the, the Jews, right? The Jews, the big Jewish bankers. And some of the Jewish bankers are a problem, but that doesn't mean that all Jews are bad. But no, you, you create or you point out or create a problem and you exaggerate it and you talk about it all the time. It wasn't just Jews, it was Bolsheviks, communists. Well, you know, he had a point there. <laughs> well, he really had a point there. But they also say democracy is a big problem too. Why? Because, uh, and this is interesting, about 1935-36, Churchill almost paid Hitler a compliment, not directly, but he was admiringly saying, not because he liked Hitler, he didn't like him, he hated the guy. But he said, look at what he's achieved in a few short years. But then he quickly added, it's only because they don't have democracy. Because in democracy, you're debating things so long, one side wants to destroy the other side, so you don't get anything done. And Hitler recognized that. So yeah, democracy is a problem if you want to build up a country very quickly. Don't use democracy. It's not going to work very quickly, I say. If you build it up at a slower pace, democracy can work. But uh, I won't get into too much of democracy here. But I'll say you point out a problem. For Hitler, it was Jews, Bolsheviks, and in another level, say, democracy, right? And he talked about those things, especially Jews and Bolsheviks, constantly. 
So you point out a problem. In the case of Bolsheviks, that was a problem. They want, because communists want to take over the world. They always said that. You know, Marx said it's necessary to take over the world because otherwise you have some people that are against this. Notice you take over the world by hook or crook, which means either you conquer other countries militarily. If you can't do that, you infiltrate the other countries and weaken them from within until they're just like ripe fruit ready to be plucked, until you can take them down very easily. Look at the situation in America now and tell me that doesn't mirror what Marx was talking about. Look at it. Think about it. So... Step one of the totalitarian success formula, you point out a problem and you talk about it constantly, exaggerating it, or you create a problem. Now, second of all, you preach that there's only one solution to this problem. It could be a package, but it's only one package of solutions then. Only one. And further, you say the solution is our solution. So now we have steps two and three. You talk, you harp on a problem. Look at this problem. Look at this problem. Look, look at this great problem we have. Trump. Trump is the great problem. Look at this huge problem. He's so bad. He's so evil. He's like Hitler. Doesn't matter. There's no evidence whatsoever that he was like Hitler. That doesn't matter. Evidence doesn't matter because you know if you're, and all you would be totalitarians, all you young people in high school out there listening to me, that you've, you know, you don't have a a normal goal. I'm going to be a lawyer, daddy, or mommy, I want to be a doctor. Or as I, when I was five years old, my mother asked me, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, a garbage man. She said, what? <laughs> what? I said, yeah, garbage man. She said, well, why do you want to be dealing with garbage? I said, well, okay, it's when you work, it's not very pleasant. But garbage men, they only work on Mondays, because in my neighborhood back then, Baltimore, they only picked with the garbage once a week. They only have to work one day, so I have a six-day weekend. So I have one bad day, and then I enjoy the long weekend, right? Well, then she said, well, you know, those, those poor garbage men, they're not just working on Mondays. They're in our neighborhood on Mondays, and then Tuesday, they're in some place. I said, oh, no, I had to change my idea after that. I think I want to become a, a policeman or a cowboy or something like that. I was five years old, okay. So I know some of you people out there are thinking, you know, what, what might I be in, in the future and what could I be? And you know, we go down the, the trodden paths, right? So you want to become, say, well, let's become a totalitarian dictator. So you've already heard some of the steps now. Concentrate on the problem. For example, I don't know, let me just invent something novel here. Uh, uh, let's say uh, global warming. Oh, wait, that's not new. Well, let's take this example anyway, right? Global warming. So you note that the temperature seems to have gone up, right? So, and you say, this is a big problem. This is a big problem. This is a huge problem. Why, as Al Gore, ex-vice president, was saying in about 2000, by 2010, there won't be any more polar bears. So uh, note to the realistic-minded, uh, they studied, I think in 2012, 14, there were more polar bears than there were in the year 2000. So Al, you were wrong there. But anyway, you, you exaggerate the problem. You talk about it all the time. You set up NGOs focused on that problem. Climate change. Oh, no, sorry. It was first global warming, wasn't it? Global warming, global warming. Things are getting so hot. Uh, why, in 150 years, we won't be able to live in any coastal area. Would somebody please tell leftists like Obama and Nancy Pelosi that? You know, Nancy Pelosi recently bought a house near the beach. Obama bought, has one in Florida, I think, near the beach, and then up in Martha's Vineyard. There's another one near the water. Apparently, these leftists that, that talk so much about uh, global uh, warming 
apparently they haven't realized that it's not good to have a house near the beach if the, the beach is going to be flooded in a certain number of years, sooner than most people think, according to AOC, you know who that is. Why, well, she said about a year or two ago that when I think it was 12 years, we're all going to be dead. Well, that's how bad the global warming is. <laughs> I hate to laugh at that poor little girl. I really shouldn't do it. We should just send her back to high school, <laughs> let her repeat high school and then repeat college again until she gets something of substance in her head. But I don't want to, I don't want to trash her too much because uh, she's the true believer. She actually believes the things she says, I think, <laughs> sadly, sadly. People like Obama, Hillary Clinton, they don't really believe the things they say. They send for other purposes. It's because they, like me, they know what the totalitarian success formula is. So let's continue on this path. You point out or create a problem. Once again, communism. What was it like back when communists were planning? They were planning even back in the 20s and 30s. We have to take over the world. America must fall. So you look to America. Let, let me tell you what was going through the mind of Stalin. Now, you might think after I say this, I'm a psychic or something. Well, I might have a little psychic ability. Some have told me that. But it's not that. It's just that I have this ability to think like other people do. Even if the other people are so different from me, I can imagine the way they would think. And this is a maybe a special gift. No, I don't think so. I think you could do it too if you open your mind and throw your ideologies out the window and really think with an open mind. I think many people could do this. So what does Stalin think? I think, well, we have to take over the world. First, we're, we're consolidating power in Russia, so we might have to kill millions of people here, which he did. He killed more people than Hitler, according to most historians. Uh, with his military in the 30s, he committed what was really an act of treason. He thought, well, maybe some of the officers are against me in the military. Let's just kill them all. Well, he killed a great, not all of them, of course, but anybody that was even in the least suspected of being against Stalin, he just had him murdered. So he killed thousands and thousands of officers, which means that when Hitler attacked a few years later, the, the, the hierarchy of the military was gutted. In other words, Russia could defend itself even less because all the best officers were, had been killed off. Oh, there were some like, like General Zhukov that was still around. He was a great general and Stalin hadn't killed him. But then after the war, Zhukov had been so successful in helping beat, beat the Nazis that he was becoming popular. And, and Stalin thought, hmm, maybe he'll want to become leader someday. I better kill him too. In other words, the great hero of his country. And he was thinking of killing him. He didn't do it in the end, fortunately, because Zhukov certainly didn't deserve that. He was a great general. He helped save his country. Unfortunately, that meant saving the communist dictatorship and saving Stalin too. But Stalin, then looking to America, when he was still in power, he would think, okay, how can we use the totalitarian success formula? Let me tell you, I didn't read this anyplace. It just popped into my mind, the totalitarian success formula. It, it's been formulated in other forms maybe, but I'm, this is a really simple form mine, and it, can, it, it includes all the steps basically. You look to America. You want to take over America. So what do you do? You could create problems that don't exist. Let's imagine that Stalin had in the 1930s started talking about uh, transgenderism. Well, they didn't have transgender people. They didn't have that operation yet. The first one, I think, was Christine Jorgensen in the 1950s or something like that, right? So that didn't even exist, these transgender people. Uh, but you did have gay people, of course. Imagine if he had chosen that. And then his agents in America, in other words, but not only the spies, but people who had infiltrated, people working for him in America, because that network was pretty big and growing by the, by the year. If they had talked about, yes, the rights of the gay people, the rights of gay people, first of all, people said, gay, what do you mean? 
Oh, you mean homosexuals? Okay. But back then, he wouldn't have done that because so many people were had a negative attitude towards homosexuality and wouldn't have caught on. So you don't pick something like that, my would-be dictator friend. You don't pick something that you see from the beginning. It, it's not going to work too well. For example, if these days we become a, a dictator and it's a strongly Muslim country, you don't start knocking religion a lot. No, you don't do that because you know it's doomed to failure because almost everybody is religious in a certain way, Muslim. So you don't want to criticize that because they're going to shoot you down right away. No, you pick some problem they really do have. In 1930s, what was it? Depression era, joblessness, also the rise of the unions. In part, they could rise more quickly because of all the people out of work. But in part, it was due to exploitation. My father was in a union himself, and as a kid, I would ask him about these things. I had the advantage that my mother came from a Republican family, my father from a Democrat family. I heard both sides of the story. By the time I was a little kid, my mother didn't talk about politics too much, but her sister did, my aunt. She knew more about, and she was so, she was conservative Republican. I don't mean like today we say that. Today, a conservative Republican is like a liberal back then in 1960, let me tell you. She was so conservative Republican. I mean, this was old time Republican conservatism that you young folks out there don't even know how strong that was. Anything that smelled of leftism, it was communism right away and you go after it, right? That's what I mean here. But for the unions, I remember my father telling me, well, the unions can be good or it can be bad. And he was a, a thinking member of a union. Because uh, I criticized him one time. I remember my father had to go and strike every year. I think it was in October, Longshoremen's Union uh, in Baltimore. And every year it was on strike. And I said, what, are you getting enough money? He said, well, it's not that we get paid badly, but the union, every year they go and strike to try to get more. I said, why is it a week? I said, ask as a little kid. He said, well, it could be a day, but the union always asks for too much money. And, uh, and the businesses there uh, don't want to give them more money. And so they want to give them too little money. And so it takes, and then they go and strike for a week to pressure the, the, the bosses. And then they come up with some kind of compromise. And I say, why couldn't they just have some reasonable compromise at the beginning after a day? No, no, they don't. It has to be a week because that way the unions gain more power too. And I said, well, but if you want to go back to, why don't you just go back to work and forget the union? So, oh my God, I was a kid. Sorry. I was young and naive. I mean, these days I see adults age 60 and 70 that in my mind are young and naive, but I'm no longer young and no longer naive. I said, kids, what? Dad, I know you want to work, but I just go back to work. Just cross that picket line. He said, I don't know. I said, you don't do that. In the waterfront, especially back then, you cross the picket line, you betray the union. He said, uh, if you value your life, you're not going to do that. Because, I mean, I mean, you could get a severe beating or they could actually kill you. You know, you're not going to do that, right? Oh, need I mention the connections between unions and the mafia back then? Oh, no, no, no. Because, of course, the unions, they wanted more power for themselves, right? They were going totalitarian direction. On the other hand, unions were necessary, he told me, because before unions, people had it so bad, you'd work like a dog and work 12 hours a day and be totally exploited, and then you're too old to work, okay, bye, you're not working here anymore, and you die of starvation in your old age. So unions have done a lot of good but also the people controlling them. And, you know, there are a lot of good there, a lot of bad there, too. So as a kid, I learned to think like that, thanks to my father, who would explain both sides of a thing, because he had a very good mind for such things. And I like to think that I inherited some of that from him. <laughs> right. uh, okay, so my would-be dictator friend. You find a problem that's somehow real, 
And the problem of joblessness was very real, like in the 1930s. And the rise of the unions, that was necessary because of the injustices of businesses, right? The exploitation. So it is a problem that existed, but then you exaggerate that. You exaggerate it. In other words, when you think you should have more money, don't say something reasonable. You exaggerate it so you can go and strike, so people see how strong the unions are, so you gain more power. And of course, the solution, you, you, you generate a problem or you exaggerate an already existing problem. That's always best. And then you say there's only one solution, and that's our solution. That's our solution. That's a very, very, very important point. Flash forward to modern times. There is a pandemic. It might kill half the world. Well, let's call it COVID-19, right? A couple of years ago. And there's a solution to that. Oh, oh, said one congressman. He wrote this to Fauci in March of 20. When was this? In March of 2021. He wrote, you know, in China, they're using hydroxychloroquine and their numbers are very low with deaths. Maybe we should do that. And what did Fauci do? Oh, he's a would-be totalitarian. He totally ignored that. No, no. It has to be our solution. If you're a would-be dictator, it must be our solution. Forget hydroxychloroquine. Let's put that on the list of things to suppress and make illegal. I, ivermectin? Oh, no, no. It's not, that's not our solution. Oh, no, because that could actually cure the disease. We need the problem. A totalitarian needs the problem to exist at the beginning to get power. You must have power for Hitler. It was Bolsheviks and Jews. And it went deeper in that. First of all, it was the Versailles Treaty. After World War I, Germany was forced to sign this treaty that was really not fair. Hitler was right about that. It was not a fair treaty. And then they used that to totally exploit Germany, take away their gold, to ruin their economy. They had to pay huge reparations, which led to massive inflation. It led to the downfall of their economy. And that led, to the, in turn, to the rise of Hitler. So the Hitler came to power was in part the fault of the Allies, especially France. Also Britain, but especially France. Uh, Woodrow Wilson went to go easier on Germany. But in the British, well, we could go easier, but France said, no way. We're going to be really tough on them. And that led eventually, well, to the Versailles Treaty, to the fall of their economy in Germany, and that, once again, led to the rise of Hitler. All these things are connected. But Hitler is right in that sense. The Versailles Treaty was totally unfair. So first he was harping on that. Look at the Versailles Treaty, how we were stabbed in the back, how our politicians betrayed us. And there was some truth to that, but then you harp, you mention it constantly, day after day, month after month, year after year. And then you bring in the Bolsheviks. Look at the great problem Bolsheviks. They're trying to take over the world, which, and that was true. They're trying to get more influence and they're murderous. We have to protect Europe, not just Germany. He was saying, we have to protect Europe from these Bolsheviks. And he was, he was right about that. <laughs> Ironically, he was right about that. Uh, and that's what, and, but he was exaggerating this so much. These are the problems. He talked about that, those things all the time. Hammer it into the people until they can't see anything else. Flash forward to modern times. COVID is dangerous. COVID is dangerous. But wait a minute. Let's look at the death numbers. Really? It hasn't been that many people. Percent? No, no, shut up. Shut up. COVID is dangerous. It's going to kill us. You harp on it constantly. In other words, a problem that exists. I'm not saying COVID didn't exist, but you exaggerate it. And then you say there's only one solution, and that's our package. Not the package of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, that have, in some countries, cured practically everybody or prevented it. But that's not told to the population. There a great province of India that has 240 million people. COVID practically disappeared since they used, started using ivermectin. But they don't tell you that. 
the would-be dictators in in more advanced countries they don't tell you that because that goes against their narrative no they have they in this case they created the problem in a laboratory in wuhan and most likely that started in america with that research most likely and they were collaborating with the fauci and the chinese there's increasing evidence for that so they create the problem covid or do you think Fauci was being psychic when in 2017, after Trump was elected, he said, almost certainly there will be a great pandemic, a great health crisis during the Trump administration? How did he know that? Well, I'll tell you why, because they're already making the virus to do it with. That's how he, how he could tell that. He's not a psychic, Anthony Fauci. He's one of the worst criminals in history. And he will be judged. And I don't mean, you know, Jesus judging. No, I, he, I think he's going to be judged in this world if he doesn't die first because he is old or if he doesn't put a bullet in his head. He might be smart to do so. Uh, he's not going to have a good end, let me tell you. So he's not a psychic. But in that case, they created the problem. These, uh, gain, this gain of function research, they created the virus. They put it out there. And then they exaggerate the problem because they don't want to kill off everybody. Not everybody, not including themselves. But they exaggerate it by a factor of a thousand. It's so terrible. And what solution? Well, it's our solution. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor that thought, I'm going to try ivermectin. Look at this. I cured everybody. That doesn't matter. You do that and they kick you out of the hospital. There are cases of that where some doctors and hospitals working there have used hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin or other protocols. And they've actually cured people of severe COVID and they were fired because the hospitals didn't want them to be curing people. It's true. There's evidence for this. I'm not making it up. But you see, that's not part of their solution. They give you the solution, and you must accept their solution. If you don't, then you're a conspiracy theorist, then you're crazy, then you're evil, then you're an evil Trump supporter, then you're a fascist, whatever, they'll insult you, or you're a racist, because there is a big problem in this case, one they created, or one that you know, it could be something uh, exaggerated, as I said. You find a problem that exists, and you exaggerate it, and you, and you talk about it all the time, and then you say, and there's one solution, and that is our solution. That's what you do. I hope you're taking notes, you would-be dictators, you young people that want to be dictators. Take notes here, because I'm revealing things to you that you won't learn in school. Let me tell you, you're not going to learn in school, and not even in college or university, even if you do a master's or doctorate, you most, unless you study the history of communism, and even if you do, <laughs> that's ironic, you might learn that communists use, well, they don't formulate exactly the way I am, I'm, I'm putting it in a maybe more succinct form, but you could deduce that from what they, they taught, but if you study that, depending on your ideological mindset, you might not realize that what's really going on even then. You'll memorize for your test and that'll be it. So I'm giving you valuable information here. You create a problem or you recognize a problem. And you can do this on a small, you can do a test. But, but let me tell you about that later if I remember it now, or by the time I get to that point. Okay, you preach that your solution is the only one to this problem. There's only one solution and it's ours, from our group, from us communists, from us fascists, right? From us Democrats, from whatever. It's ours, or from us Republicans, whatever, right? And then you make sure previously, this would be step four, well, at, I'm putting it step four here, but you want to be sure that the solution that you're pushing is the one that's going to give you a maximum of power. Right? One's going to give you a maximum of power. In the case of Hitler, what was it? We have a problem. The Versailles Treaty that's bleeding Germany dry, the Bolsheviks and those evil Jews. 
Now, the evil Jews, let's look at that thing. You know, Jews aren't evil by, by nature, obviously. That there's some evil Jews, of course there are, just as the evil Christians, evil, evil Muslims, evil atheists. They're maybe the worst a lot, but anyway. Of course, they're evil people in any denomination or any group. Okay. He could do that back then because of Christianity, ironically. I don't know if you ever thought about that. My mother and her generation, do you know that up to the 1960s, Catholics were taught that only Catholics could get into heaven? Not that they all really believed that, but that's what they were taught. To be, get in, you have to be a Catholic. If you're a Jew, you can't go to heaven. If you're good, maybe you go to limbo, and then you know that's a place where you don't suffer. It's just like a big waiting room. And then when Jesus comes back, he might forgive you. That's where the Christian scholastics, for example, that's where they place people like Aristotle and Plato that they highly respect. They thought these were good people, and but they weren't Christians because they were lived before Jesus Christ, right? So you don't want to say that they go to hell. So you say, well, they go to limbo. I think that's one of the reasons why limbo was created by man. What, what did I just say? Is that, is that heresy? No, in the early stage of Christianity, there was no limbo. There was no purgatory for all you Catholics out there. There was heaven and there was hell, as some Protestants still have today. You're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. That's a very severe thing. It's like saying it's, it's draconian in the truest sense of the word. You know, a draco in ancient Greece uh, the punishment for every crime was death. You know, you kill your neighbor, death penalty. You steal his, uh, I don't know, whatever, his horse, death penalty. You steal a piece of bread from his kitchen, death penalty. And somebody asked Draco one time, the leader of that state, I forget which state he was living in at the time, or I don't know too much about his life, I should put it that way. And But somebody asked him, uh, well, Draco, don't you think that's a little severe? No matter what people do, they get executed. Why do you do it like that? And he thought for a moment, he said, well, it seems to work. <laughs> you know, it seems like there are not many criminals around anymore because no matter what you do that's criminal, it just kill you and it seems to be a good solution. Uh, well, that was kind of the early Christian solution. There was heaven and there was hell. So if you, if you were a baby, you're just born, and you didn't get baptized because you died before you baptized, you went to hell. They used to teach that. And that's the importance of baptism. You better get that child baptized right away because if it dies a day after birth, which was common back then, you know, the kid, imagine all the parents that suffered. Their dear little angel came into the world and died two days later before baptism, and they have to think that it's in hell now. That's how religion has tortured the minds of people. And I'm not totally against religion by any means, but some things they've done, just think about that. Think about that. Well, then the church in its mercy made a great discovery, in quotes. They discovered limbo. What is limbo? Well, that's a place where you go just to hang out, you know, as I said before, right? So that's what, later when they saw there were some great philosophers that were good people, Plato, Aristotle, you don't want to send them to hell, so let me put them in limbo. Well, just a little aside. I'll talk about that more in the future, how these things have developed religiously. But as I said, you, you create a problem, or you find a problem, preferably, because that's something already in the minds of the people. You exaggerate it. You talk about it all the time. And you say there's only one solution or one package of solutions. And that's the one that we offer. You cannot be open for debate. That's an important point here. Do not be open for debate, my would-be dictator friend. And you know why? Well, modern day example, COVID. So many doctors saying you must get the vaccines. It's necessary to get vaccines. And we have some doctors that are famous even, that are great scientists saying, no, no, these vaccines are dangerous. But you don't invite them to debate with you. 
because then your narrative falls apart as it's now falling apart, not through debate, but because other things have changed. I won't go into that now. I suspect what is really changing now. Doesn't that seem strange to people? So, so many people now that were saying vaccines are necessary, even vaccine with children and mass all the time. And I say, well, now things are not the way we thought at first. Yeah, I'll say, I saw some study came out that uh, Pfizer that was saying a year ago, 95% effective. Some study published in The Lancet, one of the premier peer-reviewed journals, right, in the world, said, no, Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine isn't effective to the degree of 95%. It's effective to the degree of 0.84%, big difference between 95,03%. Uh, and 0.84%. The Moderna vaccine, it's not 94% effective. It turns out, according to this peer-reviewed study, it's only 1.24% effective. 1.24. The Janssen vaccine announced was 66.6% effective. Real protection, I should say real protection, 1.19%. AstraZeneca was announced at 66.8% percent protection you get. Instead, they're saying now the study, well, 1.28 percent. Hmm. Now, it looks like big news here, which in a sense it is. All this means is they've decided to change the narrative. I'll get into that in a minute, my would-be dictator friend. Why they're doing, well, not, not I won't get into COVID too much, but the narrative is starting to change. That same Lancet was being pilloried a number of months ago for publishing a study that was kind of fake, but in favor of vaccines. So what's going on here? <laughs> Some of these journals might fall in the future. They have to be purged <laughs> of the scum in them, in any case, I would say, of the agents of China and of the deep state, but that's another subject. So remember, preach there's only one solution, and that is our solution. And you must suppress any debate in a group of Nazis, when Hitler talked about the dangers of Judaism, suppose you went into that meeting, excuse me, you're saying the Jews are racially inferior. Well, I'm a scientist. I've discovered there's really no difference between a typical German Jew and the, the German Aryan. Do you think they would have said, why? Why, professor, that's interesting. Why don't you get here on the podium and tell us about it? I don't think so. They would drag you out in the street and beat you half to death. You must not have debate. So that's why Dr. Michael Yeadon, look him up, Y-E-A-D-O-N. That's why he's not been invited on the CNN to debate these things or even talk about them at all. That's why none of these great experts have been invited to debates. No, you must suppress debate. How do you do that? Well, I'll give you a little tip. That's not even my list of the main points. But how do you do that? How do you suppress debate? Uh, maybe I won't tell you that yet. I'll let you think for yourself. Maybe uh, Let's see how long this is. I may tell you at the end or in another uh, episode. Let's see how that goes time-wise here. So, once again, remember it, my young friend, I hope you've written it down. You must find a problem in the society, preferably one that already exists, or you invent one, and you talk about it constantly. And you preach at the same time, there is a solution. I should have added that. You preach, okay, people, it's really bad, This, you know, whether it's unemployment, whether it's exploitation of workers, whether it's racism, uh, whatever it is. It's... It's a big, huge problem. You must concentrate on that. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a solution. And there's only one solution. And that's our solution. Remember that. Memorize that. 
you find a problem in society and you can do that every class should be doing these exercises every high school class should be doing this okay children now uh, i want you johnny to study uh, the french culture in france this week and you mary you're going to study you notice how old and the names i picked for the, the kids when i make up examples johnny and mary it's like 1960 sorry you know these days would be deshaun and janelle or whatever and nothing against these original names i think it's more interesting than johnny and mary but it's just you know my age you know, showing through i guess and you mary you're going to study australia what their culture is like and what the, the problems they have in their country right and you, uh, Cecil, <laughs> now we're going back to the 19th century, you're going to look at Russia and the main problems they have. And then what you're going to do is you're going to learn the main problems they have in their society and then make a little speech to talk about that problem. But you're going to come up with a solution. You're going to say there is a solution to the problem. And it's my solution. If you're like Hitler or Stalin, it's my, or Mao, it's my solution. Or if it's a more a group thing, like these days with COVID, it's our solution. It's not going to be Biden pretending he's Mao or Stalin or Hitler, because believe me, he doesn't have that physical energy or that mental energy of any of those people. Uh, those people, in a sense, were all geniuses, but very evil geniuses, of course. And Biden doesn't even have it in him to be a real evil genius. Uh, so, so these days, and they have to look democratic these days, too. That's another problem, because people have been conditioned to believe in democracy so therefore all these leaders these these would-be dictators trudeau in canada and macron in, in france etc uh they have to pretend they're part of the democratic system so then it can only go group wise it's not do what i say i francois macron i'm the dictator like i'm adolf hitler no he can't do that because democracy so he says do what we say we we countries in the world democracies in the world me and my friend pedro sanchez uh, in, uh, in the president of Spain and Boris Johnson in England, they do what we say. It's like the group think more. So people think, well, yes, yeah, democracy because there are many of them, right? And so there are variants on this depending on the situation you're in. Back in 1920s, people were more open for the, the 20s and 30s, open for the idea of dictatorship. Now they're not. So you have to fool them. But it's the same thing. It's we have the solution. Not I, Francois Macron. No, it's we. It's, it's, it's myself, it's Joe Biden, it's doctors like Dr. Fauci. You don't mention those other inconvenient doctors. Maybe they won Nobel Prizes and they say vaccines are dangerous and these aren't going to help people at all. No, they must be silenced one way or the other. Remember that. Write that down in your notes because you want to be successful in your profession when you're a dictator, right? You want to get there first of all, right? So there's only one solution and that's our solution and you must silence any critics. You can't just go kill them off right away. Not in democracies, it's too obvious. So what do you do? I'll get into that afterwards. I wanna get, uh, yeah, and once again, step four is make sure that the one solution you give, you or your group, is going to give you a maximum of power. And now we get to step five. Then I'll get into more details about how you silence your enemies. We get into step five. And what you do there is simple. Remember the old commercials? Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. In other words, repeat the same process as before, but now starting with another problem. We saw that example with Hitler, right? It's, it's about Bolsheviks. And it's about Jews. It was more or less the same time. 
at first he wasn't criticizing too much of democracies, not too much, but then he criticized democracy more because they were his enemies, right? He really didn't use the rinse and repeat technique to that extent, but he didn't have to because he had so successfully brainwashed the people with the Bolshevik thing. And that was, that was real. That was easy to do because world communism was a problem. I mean, my God, Stalin killed more people than Hitler and, and Mao killed more people than Hitler and Stalin put together. So yes, it is a problem. Communism, if you've done your homework, people think of it as just an economic system. Well, Chinese communism now is not a communist economic system. It's a capitalist, extreme capitalist economic system, but it's controlled by the state. It's what Hitler did. Basically, the Chinese communists are much more like Hitler than they were like Stalin, even though they call themselves communists. And Stalin was a communist, Hitler, but we say fascist, right? But the Chinese learned their lesson after years of poverty through communism. And seeing the Soviet Union was failing, thought, what can we do? Why don't we adopt the model of Hitler? I mean, it's very obvious they did that. Hitler, he was also a dictator, but he had capitalism. In other words, people can own things, they have money, you can generate money, because then we're going to have the advantage of communism, but without the disadvantages. And people think communism is just an economic system. It's not. It has several pillars. One of them was scientific. I won't get into that now. That's already failed almost soon after the beginning because it was nonsense. The second was the economic system. That was the main one stressed. But the third was the dictatorship. Marx said we must have communist dictatorships. So, and, and also fascists, they were dictators too, but they didn't have the communist economic system. That's why fascists could thrive, why Germany could become, a, once again, a rich and powerful country under Hitler. And that's why communist countries were always poorer, because they were sticking to the communist economic system. But the Chinese thought, let's do it like Hitler did. We'll throw overboard the stupid communist economic system, make the place more capitalist and uh, make it really capitalist, invite all these investors to come to the country, be the producers of the world. We're the biggest capitalists in the world then in the end. And, and they were very close to achieving that. I don't think they're going to achieve that now. But if you look at how they advanced in world economic power from 1990, when they're, I think, about number 12, and by the early 2000s, they were number two. In 2010, they had 40% of the GDP of the United States. By 2020, it was like 60%. They were rapidly catching up with this because they had adopted capitalism. But they still called themselves communists. Well, they had the communist government structure. The party rules everything. Dictatorship. So they did it the smart way. And that's why, in great part, why we're in the situation now. So with Hitler, he didn't have to rinse and repeat. But now we're going to look at example of rinse and repeat, step five. How it's being applied today. First of all, I'll go back to the global warming. And you're going to correct me. Oh, it's climate change. <laughs> That's an important step too. Not important. Second step, but important step. You harp on one thing, global warming. What happens if your narrative starts to fall apart? What happens if more and more scientists start saying, wait a minute, yes, the climate has gone up for years, but then now it's starting to go down a little because there are phases when there wasn't so much global warming. And then they start talking more about historical trends. Well, yeah, okay, we have 50 years, 60 years, whatever, where the temperatures go up. We had that also in, I don't know, say the 15th century, and there are no factories then. So what's, you know, so what are you talking about? Then first of all, you censor these people. You kick them out of your organizations. You say that they're, they're, they're negationists, they're quacks, they're conspiracy theorists. But when that doesn't work too well, then you slightly change your narrative. 
you don't talk about global warming, you change the term. And that term is then, is then uh, climate change, right? Uh, oh, yes, I think my wife just handed me a note here very sweetly. It's not Francois Macron, it's Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> I actually knew that, but <laughs> I guess once I was thinking of Francois Mitterrand, the president back in the 80s. <laughs> Thank you, dear, for pointing that out to me. I, I'm, I'm delighted when she does that because you know, talk about such things and it's easy to you know, mix, mix up a first name. Yes, it's Emmanuel Macron. I'm very grateful for that, uh, <laughs> pointing out the little slip of mine. So when your narrative is starting to fall apart, you change that narrative, my would-be dictator young friend. So if global warming, you talk about it for years, like Al Gore, it's so bad that by 2010 there'll be no more polar bears and then 2010 arrives and there are more polar bears than before. Ugh, what do you do then? You have to say, well, I guess we're wrong. There's no global warming. You can't do that because the global warming thing, it has a purpose. Yes, there's contamination. And yes, maybe part of that is due to global warming because of factories. I'm not saying that's not a factor. I'm not saying that. Of course, that side would say, Anybody that questions their narrative is saying, there's no pollution, there's no global, oh, look, they're quacks. See, that's, that's the trick they use. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, yes, global warming exists, has existed before. If you don't think so, look back, ask some dinosaur 50 million years ago. Oh, things were really hot back then. There's nothing compared to then. And since then, the world's going through, has gone through many changes. Where the, uh, In the 18th century, there was, I forget what year is when the winter was especially harsh. And uh, in the 16th century, such a phase two. Then you have phases where the sun, where for decades, it has to do with with solar cycles, as some scientists have been pointing out. But when they point that out, they're demonized by the global warming crowd. But then, when global warming, when more and more people point out, wait a minute, the polar bears are still alive. What are you saying? Then you have to change it. You say, well, no, it's climate change. In other words, yes, sometimes for 10 years the, the temperatures go down, but the problem is not really global. It's climate change. You see, you're renovating, you're giving new life to your old narrative of global warming. It's climate change then. And the climate's always changing. And yes, I think maybe, and there are cycles, definitely. But you're not supposed to say it's because of sun activity. And I'm no expert in this. I'm not, like I say, uh, I think that just the fact that factories do pollute, well, yeah, we should try to take care of that. Of course, the, the solutions they have for it, oh, these are solutions that would bankrupt any country that does them. That's an interesting point. Why? Because behind all that, of all this narrative, of this uniparty, one might say, it's always about the global warming, oh, excuse me, climate change, uh, when the narrative once changed then. Uh, and it's always our solution to things. We have to join together in the world. We have to impose more taxes. We have to, it's always our solution. It's our explanation of the problem, and it's our solution. It's the same pattern. And you harp on that, and you talk about it, and you pay people off. Yes, you have money behind you, deep state, China. You pay off scientists to push this narrative. You start uh, uh, NGOs that are financed by George Soros. He's, he's part of your crowd, too, but what's the purpose? The purpose is to bankrupt and to destroy Western society as is because you want the new world order. In other words, the goal in this board game, if you will, just like a monopoly, it's to own the most property. It's similar to that, but it's to own all the property in the end. It's to control the world. It's the new world order. That's what the communism is saying since Karl Marx. Uh, 
that's what Hitler is talking about, right? Expanding more and more and more. He had plans, some say maybe even for America, but he probably knew he wouldn't do that in his lifetime. And like Marx said, if you have such a system, such a such an extreme totalitarian system, you have to have a goal of world domination or the other country is going to dominate you something, they're going to conquer you. And so you see how this is going, this whole thing. You create a problem or you find a problem is there and you exaggerate it, and, but you give, then you give hope. You scare the people with the problem. Global warming, my God, in, in, in 12 years we're all going to be dead, says AOC, that poor girl. Uh, it's like that Greta Thunberg. Maybe AOC and Greta Thunberg should both be just put off on an island somewhere with a library of books and let them read and think. And when they're much older and more mature in their thinking, let them then come back. I don't know. I mean, really. But yeah, we'll be dead in 12 years because of because of climate change. Yeah, right, AOC. We might all be dead in 12 years, but it's not going to be because of climate change, unless, of course, there are huge nuclear explosions. Well, that'll do it, yeah. That could change the climate and, and, and fry us all at once if enough of them go off. Uh, but, but you harp on that problem. You create the fear, and you push the fear, push the fear, push the fear. Get people to the point of despair. But at the same time, at the same time, you don't let them totally spare. You say, no, but there is a solution. There is a solution, people. It's like on TV shows. Look, the bad guys, the monsters, the monsters from outer space, they're conquering the entire world. We're all going to die. Ah, but there's the hero, isn't there? The Rambo-type figure and his battalion that has some kind of new super, and they're going to save the day. It's the same thing. Why do you think that theme is so often occurring in movies and TV shows? Because it talks to something deep inside of us. First of all, the fear, existential fears of just living till tomorrow, because for a long part of human prehistory, you're lucky if you live the next day, you know, between wild animals and I don't know, disease and uh, other people killing you or whatever. Uh, just having one of your teeth go uh, really bad and then, and then you die of the infection. Because people used to die just because the tooth was really bad, you know, if you go back far enough. People didn't live too long. If we go back 10,000 years, the average life expectancy might have been, I don't know, 25 to 30 years, right? <laughs> so... You create, generate, or exaggerate a problem. You talk about it all the time, but there's always the message after you rant and rave about it. You say, but there is a solution. And it's our solution. Nobody else's solution. I don't care how important the other guy is who might be a genius, might have three Nobel Prizes. He has a good solution. No, but his solution's worth nothing. He's a conspiracy theorist. He's some kind of raving maniac. He just wants to fool you. He wants to kill you. Because there's only one solution, that's our solution or package of solutions, right? Think this through. Think it through with COVID. Think it through of communism, development of communism. Think it through of, of Hitlerian fascism or Mussolinian fascism. Look at, look at what happened back then. Think of the, uh, the, the climate change, global warming or global warming, climate change, I should say, in that order, right? Once your narrative starts to crumble, you change the narrative. You, you modify it or totally change it. Or you get rid of that motive and come up with plan B, which usually should be pre-planned. My would-be dictator friend, write this down too. For every plan A you make, have a plan B and a plan C. I would suggest at least two more plans. Applied to the COVID situation, we see how that's crumbling, how they're coming forth. Well, yes, maybe they don't protect so much of these vaccines and maybe the masks don't help. In other words, it's obvious that narrative is crumbling. So now they're changing it. 
And people are happy about that. They shouldn't be. Because the goal of these people, in the end, was world domination. It was a new world order. And they're hell-bent on that. So if they can't get it through their plan A that's crumbling, then they're going to start with plan B. I don't know what that is. It could be a world war. It could be some huge scare of a world war. It could be the so-called fake alien invasion. I think I talked about in another... I know it sounds like science fiction. It's not. It would work. They could create the New World Order, I, I would predict, in one month if they use that plan. Faking an alien invasion to get people so terrified that they then say, yes, we need one world government to face these aliens. It would work within a month. You could have the New World Order. I don't think they're going to succeed in that because people are talking about that. This is a known plan, by the way, that goes back even 1950s and 60s. If you've done your homework, you know that. Otherwise, you don't. I won't get into it. Too. It's very interesting. It's a brilliant plan. And it could be something totally different. It could be another sickness. In other words, next is going to be smallpox or maybe the plague or some other sickness that they've created for which they might have an antidote, for, like a real vaccine for themselves. But they're going to spread around the world and then people really will be dying like flies, not like with, I don't mean like COVID, because that was largely fake. If you look at the real death numbers, largely fake. Now the death numbers are going up, but only since the vaccine started. Look into it, do your homework. Or read the, the PDF that I put out with the links. Read the most recent links of the information coming out there. That's not talked about in the mainstream media yet. It will be one day, but I don't know when that day is coming. The, when the one narrative crumbles, you come up with another narrative. Either, either modify the narrative you have or you come up with another one. In other words, uh, for example, within the COVID time, the masks, you must wear masks. Masks are so important, but then people are getting so sick of it. So they thought, ooh, people might start rebelling. Well, let's say now, especially going towards summer when viruses don't spread so much, right? Uh, we can relax now. We don't need masks. Only to then in the fall when viruses typically come back, you know, colds and such things. Oh, now we need masks again. That was a mistake to take away the mask because, see, that's the way they do it. Give and take. The carrot and the stick. You use the stick until the people are about to rebel. And they say, oh, now we're going to give you the carrot. And then the people are happy, right? Like, we'll see what happens with the truckers. They say, we want to just negotiate. I think that's a mistake, truckers that say that. Because then maybe Trudeau would come out of the woodwork where he's been hiding and say, okay, we'll negotiate. Okay, we're going to, we won't have vaccine mandates and we won't have masks. Okay, you've convinced us. Everybody's going to be happy, right? <laughs> no, I would not be so happy because that means if the deep state did not achieve their ends, which is the new world order, if they didn't, if they see we can't achieve it that way, so we're going to give in and people will be happy. Like, well, they did see reason in the end. No, no. Then they're going to say, okay, time to activate plan B and plan C. We have to scare them some other way. That's the rinse and repeat part. But you can have a rinse and repeat phase, phase five, once again, uh, even within like the takedown of America. It's, it's been done brilliantly over decades. It's so plain to me how people don't see this. Well, people are blind. People are stupid. I say it again. And stupid has two definitions. Uh, one definition being unintelligent, low IQ. I don't mean that because I know people highly intelligent that are stupid in another sense, lacking common sense and good judgment, and they have closed minds, they're ideologues. And that makes you stupid. Yes, it, it does make you stupid. I can back that up totally logically. I'm about to put up a, a podcast episode. Maybe I put it up already, don't know which order I'm putting these things up now. Uh, but, but look into that one. Uh, it's irrefutable proof of the stupidity of the pro-vax crowd. That's the title. Look that one up. I will prove that these people are stupid. Linguistically, by the definition of stupid, I, I proved that. 
So that might be one you want to catch. And yeah, I know that I'm preaching the choir. People listen to me, generally people that more or less agree with me or are open to what I say. But uh, And so I'm not trying to convert you. You might be you're probably on the right side anyway. I don't mean politically right side. I mean on the correct side. Uh, but I tell you these things so you know how to argue against the others. So you can enter this fight and know how to counter them. So the rinse and repeat, what we see in America, it could be going on. This is brilliant, by the way. You do the rinse and repeat, but you do it at the same time. In other words, it's not really rinse and repeat in the sense of create the problem or uh, create a problem or identify a problem and exaggerate it and then say, but there's a good part too. There is a solution. And people say, oh, oh, tell us, we're so scared. Now, what's the solution? You say, this is the solution. It's our solution, right? That was step three. And previously, but I'll put this in step four, make sure a solution will give you a maximum of power very important, and then rinse and repeat with another problem. Now, in America, they've been doing several things simultaneously. Big problem. They decided the big, 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 the biggest problem in the world, the biggest problem in all of history, right? I'm going to tell you what for the left has been the biggest problem in all of history. His name is Donald J. Trump. <laughs> if you don't laugh at that, <laughs> if you see nothing funny about that, uh, I pity you because uh, you've, been, you've been hypnotized to the point that you're really, really stupid. But you remember you know, the Trump derangement syndrome. They talked about him like he was worse than Hitler, worse than Stalin, worse than any dictator, worse than all the dictators put together in history. That's the way, it, seriously, people would talk about him like that. I saw people, he's worse than Hitler. Do these people not know anything about history? Or can they not see, how is, how is Trump worse than Hitler? Where were the Trump concentration? If, if he had been worse than Hitler, these people wouldn't have been saying that because they would have been in concentration camps. They'd be, they'd be, be getting shot in the head or being gassed. That alone is proof he wasn't worse than Hitler or as bad as Hitler. What's the matter with these idiots saying things like that? And I'm sure you all know people like that. If you're one of those idiots, if you'd like to debate me on that point, oh, gladly. It'd be as easy for me as stepping on a bug on the floor to defeat you in an argument. Let me tell you, if you're that stupid that you really believe that. And yes, I say the word stupid. Once again, it's not just to insult you. I'm using it in the linguistically correct definition, right? Lacking common sense and good judgment. I'll prove, you, I'll prove that to you in any debate that we have on this subject. If you think that Donald J. Trump is like the worst dictator ever, you're a total idiot, and I'll prove it to you. But I, I bet you won't enter that debate with me because in, in the deepest recesses of your warped soul, you know you're a total idiot. <laughs> and maybe that's why you're so terrified of COVID because you know that if COVID does get you and kill you, and yeah, that can be, if it gets you and kills you, then your whole life will be without meaning. And, and very possibly it is so. And I don't really think that, though. I believe life after death. I think maybe in your next life you can do it better after learning the hard way. <laughs> some other But, you know, you're probably an atheist anyway, my leftist friend, so you don't have that hope, do you? No, if you want your life to have meaning, I think you better change the way you think now so you can put your life on another course. But let's get back to the rinse and repeat and how that can be done simultaneously. How would you take down America? First of all, identify a really big problem, Trump. And get this, he, he makes it easy for you because he's kind of rough around the edges, shall we say, in some of the things he said, some of his comments he made about women years ago. Okay, <laughs> whether a leader... 
says something, let's say, I, I don't know, I have to go to the dentist, and I really need tooth work. And the dentist is really good. He's really good. But 10 years ago, he said something derogatory about women. Or, or, or maybe he, it's a woman dentist, and she said something bad about men 10 years ago. I don't give a damn. All I care about is getting a good dentist, getting my teeth done. So if a president can take steps to make the country stronger, and anybody in the right mind sees a country was stronger under Trump than it is under Biden, let's face it, right? I don't know if anybody's that dumb that they think things are much better than Biden. Oh, my God. But it doesn't matter what he said in like locker room sort talk among men. Who the hell cares? What things have you said that you wouldn't want to be made public? But that's the way you can demonize him, of course. He's rough around the edges, so he's a good target. Behind the scenes, let little preview of, of revelations to come, revelations from me. We'll see when they come out officially. They knew the side attacking Trump, the politicians, they knew that he had sworn, when he swore to drain the swamp, it wasn't just a political phrase. He was going to do it. He was going to take down the deep state in the government, and they were petrified. And that's why Trump had to go one way or the other. That explains everything. Occam's razor, and no, Occam's razor doesn't say the simplest answer or solution is the true one. Some people misinterpret it. But it means start out with that one because you might save yourself a lot of effort. If the simple explanation explains everything, then you don't have to look too much farther in general. And that explains it. That's why not only Democrats were against Trump, but half the Republicans, because they're part of the deep state. And they knew, oh, my God, if he exposes all the things we were into, we're history. That is why, my friends. So you demonize Trump. Trump makes it easy because it's sometimes like a, a boar in a china shop or something, or maybe even like a bull in a china shop. So he's an easy target with some of the things he said. He's not the most pleasant personality in the world. And you play on that, right? You play with that. And you exaggerate the problem, right? You point out the problem. It's Donald J. Trump. You exaggerate it. Then you preach that there's only one solution. And the one solution in America is Democrats, right? Or it's anything non-Trump. It's even more general. It's anything non-Trump. It could be another Republican, but it can't be Trump. So he makes it easy for you there too. And you're making it easier for the dumb masses, right? The one problem is Trump. And so the solution is to not have Trump. And we're going to give you that. You see? We, there's only one solution. It's non-Trump. And we're going to give you that. Forget the problems that Trump was addressing. The growing influence of China. The, the criminal influence of China, uh, the the border situation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Forget all of that. We don't we don't talk about it. You talk about Trump. Trump, he's the problem. And there's one solution. That's not Trump. And we can give you that. You see how it all fits in the same scheme here, right? It's our solution. And you make sure you'll get a maximum of power. Of course, if Trump's going, we get all the power. If we can rob the election, we get all the power then, right? But now with the rinse and repeat part, at the same time. You have other things to criticize. It's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. But then there are things that you want to connect to him. It's racism. Oh, yes, of course, there's racism in France. And there's some racism today. Some, one study showed that there's less racism in America than there is in France and there is in Japan. You know, because every country has some, some people that are racist. But in America, we're amazingly accepting, really. But no, it's a, it is a problem that still exists to a certain little degree. Compared to the 50s, it's like disappeared. We even had a black president, remember? In the 50s, that wasn't even thinkable. So you take the problem that still exists not too much and you exaggerate it once again. You exaggerate, you talk about it all the time. And if somebody says anything against your plan, you're a racist. Even if it's not about racism, oh, you, no doubt you're a racist as well, right? You exaggerate it. And there's one solution and that's 
us, our solution, right? But there's other things. There's anti-gay. Oh my God, well, well, that's almost like racism, isn't it? Oh, this intolerance, intolerance, bigotry, this bigotry. And you know, most people, even in the, look at people on the right. That Rubin report, he's gay. Rick Grinnell is gay. And they're Trump supporters. Well, they're the most inconvenient people for you if you're a leftist, right? You don't like that because you want to play up the whole intolerance towards gay things. But if some of those gays supporting Trump, that's a problem for you. So you really criticize those people, right? You really don't like those people. But in general, most gays are probably more to the left because in the past they were rejected more by conservatives, right? And some still have that mindset that, yes, our party is, is more of the leftist democratic party. And they should really change their mind about that. But it's inertia. It's beliefs from the past. People think that the Democrats, well, like JFK, if JFK came back today, he'd be probably conservative Republican yeah, because <laughs> times have changed. Democrats then were not Democrats now, believe me. But other problems we have, yeah, anti-gay, we have the transgenders. Here's a funny one. How many transgender people do you know? Maybe you know one. I don't know. But it's not like 50% of the population, not like 10%, not that 5%, not like 1% of the population. It's a really small number. But uh, here's something else, my would-be dictator friend. This is a good one to use. You say, well, why? I mean, okay, gay people are like 5% of the population. Well, that's 5%. But the transgender people, that's much lower. That's probably not even 5% of the gay people. It's like zero point something. But So why do you use that one? This is like your first test in this course of how to become a successful dictator. Why do you use the transgender thing as an argument? Because there's so few of them around, right? You use that, first of all, because that attracts attention. Sex always attracts. You don't believe me? Ask anybody on Madison Avenue and advertising agencies. You want to sell a new car or a new TV or a new swimming pool? Put a beautiful girl in a bikini there and it's going to sell more, right? It's that simple. And put a good-looking guy next to her so the, the ladies have something to, to get enthusiastic about, right? So transgenderism, that's sex. it's not just sex. It's kind of weird kinky kind of sex. I mean, really, to have your genitals changed by operation? It's one of those things like, I remember when I lived in Spain, they had a TV show on that I hated. It was on like 9.45 p.m., right? And I had some pupils then. I would come home because taught in the evenings too. And I'd sit down, maybe make a plate of spaghetti. I turned it on. It was called En Buenas Manos, In Good Hands. It was a medical show. So I'm there, you know, just turning on my TV, have my big plate of spaghetti about to eat it. And I see the innards of some child having an operation done. And this was a child that had been born, uh, what do they call it, a uh, hermaphrodite, had genitals of two sexes. And they were showing the detailed operation. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not hungry anymore. I mean, you know, really. I hated this show. And, I, you know, I never planned to watch it. It was just that in Spain, the TV shows weren't always on at the same time like they're in America. Like this show starts at 10 o'clock or it was like, well, when the movie ends, no matter how long it is, then the following show starts after the movie. So I didn't know what was going to be on. I was just flipping through the channels. And invariably, I would get this channel. I think it was on Tuesday nights or whatever. And then I, I thought about it. I thought, who the devil wants to see people being cut open, having operations and with all the details inside? I mean, unless you're studying medicine or you're a nurse or whatever, right? You're going to help with operations. By coincidence, years after that, I met some guy in a bar in Spain, and he worked for that TV station. And I was talking, we we're talking about TV shows, and I said, you know, that show En Buenas Manos in Good Hands, I don't understand this. He said, what do you mean? I said, how, why would you have it on TV? It must be a very small percentage of people 
who want to watch that, like doctors and professors. I said, no, David, you don't understand people. Well, okay, it was about maybe 40 then. I understood him pretty well, but not in this respect, I guess. He said, that has really good viewing numbers. I said, well, why? He said, people like to see blood and guts. He said, they like to sit at home saying, oh, isn't that disgusting? Look at that. They're cutting off the genitals. <laughs> and he said, it's like a horror movie. And suddenly it dawned on me the guy was right. So this explains why they're playing up the transgender thing, because when, be honest now, be honest. You think about transgenders, and I don't hate transgender people. You know, what the devil, if they're good human beings, I don't care. Whether, and maybe they made the right decision with that operation. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. Let them that be that their business, you know. It's another thing teaching little 12-year-olds, well, if you want to change your sex, talk to us and we'll start giving you hormones. Boy, that's, an, that's part of the takedown of America, obviously. That's a different subject here. What I'm saying is the average person, if you're honest, you're going you're gonna to admit this. The average person, when they hear about transgender and they meet a transgender, there's something, I don't want to say, uh, what can I say? It's not exciting. That's not the word. Uh, uh, intriguing about it, Right. It's like, oh, this person here, maybe they say, oh, that looks like a good woman. Oh, wait a minute. Look at the jawline. Look at the shoulders. Uh, has shoulders like Michelle Obama. <laughs> oh, did I say Michelle Obama? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish I had her so so shoulders. Even if I were a professional athlete, I wouldn't mind having her shoulders. Uh, uh, I'll still call her Michelle, though, and not Big Mike. But uh, that's another story. Let's see if the truth ever comes out there. Anyway, you see this person might have a good face, might look pretty, well-dressed, a lot of makeup, because these transgender people, they're probably better with makeup than most real women, right? But they say, oh my God, it's a man. And they hear the voice, and you, and you see the Adam's apple. And then you have this feeling like, uh, you don't, you might think, oh, that's interesting. I would, I'd say, let's talk, well, why did you make that decision? And did you ever regret it? I'd be interested. Not that I'm considering that. No, thank you. But you know what I mean? And there's something intriguing about just the fact that it has to do with sex. There's something intriguing about it. So even if transgender people, I don't know what percentage population is, it's 0, 0.0 something, right? No doubt. Even so, it attracts public attention. And because so many of these people are also gay, obviously, if a man wants to become a woman, I assume he's not straight. <laughs> I'm just taking, making a wild guess here, right? So it's connected to the gay thing, tolerance towards gays. Now, from the side of the would-be dictators, my would-be dictator friends, you have to look at it from their side, too. From their side, what are they doing? They're connecting gayness, homosexuality, we should be tolerant, to something much weirder, transgenderism. So we're not just preaching now be tolerant towards gay people, but also towards transgenders. And people would, you know, that's weirder for the people. But if you can get them to accept that, then you can get them to accept a whole lot of other things, too. Like, for example, the New World Order, eventually. It goes step by step, right? So that's why you pick a theme like that. And you exaggerate it. And that's also a test you're giving the people. If you see you talk about, we have to have, a, I don't know, a third bathroom in every company in, the, in America uh, for the transgenders, right? They can't go in the women's bathrooms because women's the one of them and, and not men. So we have to make every company in America, large or small, put in a third bathroom. Well, that's a good way to help take down the economy, right? Because every business then has to be installing more bathrooms and that extra hundred thousand bucks they couldn't put into their business they have to put into another bathroom so it's serving a, a multiple purpose it's weakening the economy because you want it to fall because you want the new world order and at the same time it's getting people to be more tolerant towards transgenders and gays and other and things you know groups of people that are not associated with solidity of family because if you make the family less solid that's also working to take down society and yes i know there's some fine transgender people with children i'm not insulting them 
really, but I'm talking about general trends here, right? Uh, also, it's a test for the people, if you're one of the totalitarians, to see how far you can go with, your, with getting the people to accept what you say. If you talk about racism, we should accept blacks and goes, well, yeah, sure, I accept blacks, why not? Oh, but you accept gays, maybe you're, maybe you're a homophobe. No, I'm not a homophobe, just the fact that you say you're not a homophobe means that you are. It's like with the racist thing, you do that too. You say, I'm not a racist, I have black friends. Say, oh, no, just be, you, you're white and you say that, and you're a racist. You're just trying to hide it. You know, that's how they say, it's so stupid. I wouldn't even give those people the time of day, really, but I would gladly destroy them in any debate, which I would do, so they wouldn't debate with me, I'm sure. But you see how that works. That's what I'm trying to teach you how this works in case you want to be a dictator. This is the way you do it. So you criticize different, you, you create or identify several different problems at the same time. It's not the rinse and repeat because you want to take down American society and other societies faster. You're on a fast track to, to having your world dictatorship, right? So you, first of all, it's DJT, Donald J. Trump, during those years, right? Now they don't have him to kick around, and they're still doing it. <laughs> and the, the more informed among them know why they're doing it. Won't get into that here. Uh, but then it's racism, then it's homophobia, then it's maybe something against transgenders, that you're like this, or, and then it's your history. Thomas Jefferson had slaves. My God, how, why do you want his statue in your, in your park? Right? So you want to take down their history because history... A sense of, of common history creates stability in society, and that's what you want to change. You want the people to be totally disoriented. You want them to be fearful. It even goes as far as art. Surprise there? The communists wrote in, the, in some of their writings in the 1930s that this must penetrate the area of art as well. They, people, or that is, the would-be totalitarians should create and further the cause of ugly art. Now you might say, David, are you crazy? What? No, no, this is true. I actually read this. This is true. Why? Think about it. Imagine living in a society with artistic objects, with buildings that are beautiful, with uh, maybe a statue in the park that's really a beautiful statue, beautiful parks. You're going to feel better about yourself and about life in general. Maybe you had a stressful day, but you go out to take a walk and you walk through the park in this beautiful park with beautiful statues and you feel a little better. But imagine the opposite. You walk out and you see every building looks like a bunker. This kind of realistic architecture where maybe you have a building that's just totally square and made out of concrete. This doesn't uplift you in any way. You go to a park and it looks like a dump because they have I don't know, people shooting up drugs there. And then you see a statue and it's some kind of object that vaguely looks like a female body but it has angles and all sides. And, oh, what is that? Well, if it looks like this, it could be a person. It could. That doesn't give you a feeling of being happy or oblivious. You're sitting and saying, what the devil is that? Oh, that's kind of ugly. You think, oh, I wouldn't want that near my house. You see how that works then. You're influencing the people with music as well. Further any music that would break society apart. Uh, and it could be you know, singing songs about raping women and killing policemen for all you rap lovers out there. It could be things about uh, taking drugs, glorifying the taking of drugs, because the more people take drugs in the society, the more drug addicts there are and the weaker society is and the more crime problems they have. You see how this works. You see how it works. But then when the crime problem is there, you don't say, yes, we have a problem. It's crime. No, 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 because fighting crime would then strengthen the society. No, no. You have to say the problem is the old structures. That's why there's so many drug addict criminals. 
That's why, because of these old racist and powers. And, uh, you see, and so that's why we have to be more understanding the criminals. Give them uh, short jail sentences, if any at all. Don't make them pay bail. If they want to take drugs, give them the crack pipe out in the street. Let them do it because they need, you know, we have to help these people. And all of that is weakening society. It's creating more problems, but you don't present that as wrong. You say, no, the problem isn't are these people smoking crack in the street or defecating in the street. That's not the problem. The problem is what's behind it. And these are the evil, racist, white people in power because they're the ones you want to take down. So you finally destroy society. So you move everything towards a new world order. But to do that, you must take down American society, Canadian society, French society, German, all the developed democracies that are the strongest countries in the world. They must fall. And now, on a closing note, and let me repeat the points, first of all, from my would-be. Look, look at this. Okay, I've been talking for an hour and 20, almost 20 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. But I've given you the success formula, totalitarian success formula, how to become a dictator, a totalitarian dictator. And once again, recognize or invent a problem in a society and talk about it all the time, exaggerating it as much as possible, but then have little breaks in your talk and say, there is a solution. I could go into tales, I could give a whole course on this. And no, I don't wanna be a dictator. I don't wanna be, I despise the idea. And I'm not telling you this, I hope there's nobody out there think, taking those thinking, I'm gonna become a dictator. If I thought that would happen, I wouldn't be telling you this. Of course, there are other things that have to come together. The zeitgeist, the, the temper of, the, of our time. In other words, you have to be in a position, Hitler was in a position because of historical events. If he were around today, he wouldn't achieve anything with his methods, but at that time he could. And I would say like Klaus Schwab, New World Order people, in Hitler's time, they wouldn't have achieved anything in that, doing it in that way exactly the way they're doing it now, that wouldn't have worked. There have to be a, a, a convergence of different uh, conditions before those things can work. So I don't think any of you are going to try to become a, a dictator. And there's so many things that could be on your way, things as simple as fate, perhaps, or your own will and determination, that you wouldn't have that as strong as would a Mao Zedong or a Hitler. You have to give them that. They were determined, or a Stalin, right? They were ruthless and determined, and I'm almost certain you don't have those qualities in you. So this more an intellectualized formula, how to do this, right? How to become a, a dictator. You talk about the problem all the time, but as I said before, you say there is a solution, but you don't say what it is at first. It's going a little bit detail. You say, it's so bad, Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump. And, but there, there is a solution to that. Well, in that case, it's easy. Then you would say, it's not Trump. You don't say exactly what the solution is, but you see what I mean. But you don't have to mention the solution. It's just you demonize him so much. In Hitler's context, uh, ranting and raving about Bolsheviks, Jews, whatever. But there is a solution, and that's the Nazi party. You don't go into too many details at first. Then other talks, you can go into details, right? So localize, you know, recognize a problem or invent a problem, talk about it all the time, create fear in the people, but give them the hope, saying there is a solution. And then when you lay it on them, it's our solution. That's very important. Nobody else's solution. Somebody else can have a solution 10 times better. It doesn't matter. You demonize those people. The only solution, and there is a solution, the only one is my solution or our solution, my party solution, right? Uh, we see this in weakened form in every political campaign, but now it's gotten a thousand times stronger, right? This is what power seekers do. So there's one solution. It's our solution. 
and you make sure that the solution you offer, once the people give into it because of fear, will give you a maximum of power. In other words, COVID is a problem. It's going to kill so many people. It's going to we're going to all be dead for 20 years or whatever, right? They weren't saying that, but it's going to kill 3% of the population. That's what they're saying, 2.5 or 3% population. Think of that, right? So then you get the people so afraid they're willing to accept any solution, and then you give them a solution. It's masks, it's lockdowns, it's this, it's a, and it's vaccines above all. Because your goal is eventually, yes, to kill a lot of people, but you do it in a way that's so clever that you give them the solution to the sickness you've invented, and the solution is much worse than the sickness, but you get them clamoring, please give me a vaccine, give me a booster, give me another booster. But then you don't have the kill shot in every one of those syringes. Of course not. Maybe half of them have salt water in them. Because you want to, but at the same time, you're experimenting. Let's give, let's give the dangerous one to people in this area. That's why they need the batch numbers. Do your homework with this. I'll just go into that. I'll just throw it out there in case you're listening to me for the first time. There's evidence for everything I'm saying here. So you see how it works. And if you would be dictator, rinse and repeat. Once you've gotten power, let's see if I can think of something where you could do an experiment in your schools, if like a school or college student is hearing this. It could be an interesting project in any school. Think of your classroom now, if a school, or if you're an older person, think of problems in your classroom, right? Uh, let's see if I can do this. Uh, go back thinking my high school years, and we're talking about early 1970s here. We're starting 1969, actually. We're going back 50 years. Oh my God, how old am I anyway? I'm 55. I'm only. I, I was in high school, early age of only five. No, not really. <laughs> no, well, I'm 66 years old. Don't mind saying that. So imagine in a classroom. What problems are there in a classroom? What problems are there? Let's say, for example, well, I don't know what these classrooms today. I really don't know. But if there's some kind of problem, what are those problems? Think of a problem in your classroom if you're still in school, or, or think back to schools, or in your workplace for your older folks, probably older people listening to me, people that aren't 15. Uh, although I welcome people of all ages, that's why I don't like to curse. You know, okay, I might have let out a damn or something, but I don't think that's cursing these days, or a hell, you know. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody or corrupt the youth, <laughs> as Socrates did. That's why he was condemned to death. <laughs> for corrupting the youth by getting them to think straight. Well, I'm guilty of that too, but haven't been charged yet. Think of your workplace. What problems are there? And this is what unions do. They recognize problem. there's a problem here. Maybe a problem, I don't know, not, not so much racism, I don't think, but some kind of problem. You, you identify a problem and then you exaggerate. You talk about it all the time. But then you say, but there is a solution to that. Here it is. I will give it to you. That's how you get power any place. Could work on a family level as well, I imagine. And it does every day. Sometimes it's, uh, it's harmless. I, what could it be? Uh, the computer breaks down. Who hasn't experienced that? Or you get the blue screen of death, <laughs> whatever. And the computer just doesn't work. But one of your kids is a computer nerd. Say your daughter knows a lot about computers. She says, because the father says, oh my God, we have to get a new computer. That's another 500 bucks, whatever. She said, no, dad, there is a solution to this. And I can give it to you. With that moment, this girl has power, doesn't she? Because he says, maybe she's 16 or whatever. And the father said, she has to have a curfew of 11 o'clock. She has to be home on the weekend, right? 
when she goes out with her friends. And the father said, well, okay, then you fix it. He's, and she said, well, dad, you know, it's going to, uh, you have to buy the part. Well, of course I'll buy the part for it. And uh, yeah, and I can install the part. You know, I need a lot of time for that. And I don't know why I should do that. After all, I get to compu use computers some, but then you use it more than I do. Why should I do that? And then, then it gets to the negotiating phase. He says, well, okay, what are you getting at? Well, dad, could you give me the curfew at 12 instead of 11 this week? And then I'll do it. And the father's going to be delighted. He say, if you succeed in repairing that darn's computer, Yes, you can have a curfew, say, 12, 15. And she says, fine. And then she does the work. I think of the power that girl had at that moment, right? It's basically the same thing, but on very small, harmless level, isn't it now? There's a problem that was really there. And she points it, she exaggerates it even. She says, yes, yeah, the blue screen of death. He says, what? Well, I never heard of that. Maybe I didn't know too much about computers. The blue screen, oh my God, the computer's broken. Well, it's really bad because if that problem persists, you can't use a computer. You see how she's exaggerating. Oh my God, we have to buy another computer. Yeah, it's really bad, but you know what, Dad? There is, a, there is a solution. Yeah, well, what is it? Who can give us a solution? What experts have to call? Well, I can give it to you, Dad, because she knows how to say, I don't know, reinstall Windows. <laughs> Something as simple as that, right? Says, well, please give me a solution. Well, I don't know, because it could take a lot of my time. Uh, what do I get in return? Okay, uh, what about that curfew? An extra hour. Say, okay, fine, I'll do it. Or maybe she wants an extra two hours or all night. I don't know. But you see, even in little cases, you can recognize these steps. Negotiating with people. Some people getting power through things they, through solutions they offer. And the communists and fascists were total experts on this. And the ones today in the deep state are even more experts because between fascism and old time communism, we've had all kinds of psychological experiments using the masses, seeing how the masses react to advertising, how they react to this, how they react to this political lie, to this political lie. They've traced this all very carefully. They know exactly what they're doing. And that explains frankly everything we're seeing in America in the last few years and in the world. And as a final thought here, hope I haven't talked too long, but after all, look what I'm giving, the value I'm giving you, how to become a dictator in an hour and a half. I'd say that's a pretty intense course and a pretty valuable course, wouldn't you? But as a final thought, you think about this, once again, connecting to COVID. The, the rates of COVID deaths, where were they the highest? And don't say, well, it, probably in primitive African countries. No, 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 my friends. They've been highest in the most developed countries in the world. That goes against all logic, doesn't it? In the countries with the best hospital system and medical care, United States, England, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and all the developed countries, with the exception of Japan, with the big glaring exception of Japan, where I live. And I noticed in the beginning, something different is happening here. It's along the same lines, but it's different. But why is that? I'll tell you why it is. This is my theory, and I think it's true. To get the new world order, the people behind all of this had to take down the strong democracies. Japan doesn't even have nuclear weapons. Japan has a really reduced military after World War II. You can deal with them later. They're not the problem. The problem is, first and foremost, the United States. Because how can you make a one-world dictatorship, which is their plan, with the United States, the greatest democracy in the world and the strongest country, well, you can't do it. You have to take down America, United States and Canada above all. Mexico has its own problems. You have to take down Great Britain, nuclear power. You have to take down France, nuclear power. Have to take down Germany. It's not a nuclear power, but it's very strong industrially. And in potential, it could be very strong militarily if we let it. 
you have to take down those strong democracies that really only in part were democracies, uh, if you look what's going on behind the scenes. But anybody that might oppose you, they could European Union, you have to take them down. And that's why the people with the getting the bad shots, really, and that's why the greatest lies were being told precisely in those countries. And that's why the official death figures are the highest in the countries that have the best medical systems in the world. Uh, you think that's coincidence? It's not coincidence. It's all planned, which means in part that so many of the so-called COVID deaths are not even COVID deaths. This is why seasonal flu disappeared magically because it's being rebranded COVID because they want to scare people more in order to take down the society. You first scare the people. Once again, step one, you scare them, exaggerating the problem. Well, in this case, they created the problem with COVID, right? Then you exaggerate, exaggerate, exaggerate. You get people really scared. Say, those, those are only our package of solutions. And it's lockdowns, it's mass everything to weaken society. And then it's vaccines. <laughs> and then it's vaccines. And you preach ours as the only solution. Forget these quacks like Nobel Prize winner Luc Montagnier or Michael Yeadon, who used to be the chief research scientist for Pfizer. Don't listen to these people. They're all conspiracy theorists. No, uh, you, have to, you have to try to destroy these people's reputation because only your solution is the one that people must accept, right? You see how that works. And everything you do, you do calculating, how can we get more power here and more power? But now we're in a phase where the COVID narrative is crumbling. We see how they're coming out saying, well, maybe maybe masks aren't important and, and maybe vaccines don't work so well. And we see that as a good sign. In a sense, it is. At least we're going to have some change. But for me, that means the deep state has not achieved its goals of one world government, one world dictatorship through this COVID and vaccine crisis. They haven't done it. So now they have to go to plan B. That could be another sickness. I don't think it will be because it'd be too obvious. If now the plague breaks out, too many people know what, the, what they've been doing with these COVID lies, vaccine lies. And if something comes out, everybody's going to say, oh, now they're trying this. It's going to be something else. Maybe we'll, we'll be on the verge of World War III. Maybe it'll be something else, maybe a fake alien invasion. Who knows what it'll be? But you can be sure that these criminals have had from the beginning a plan B and a plan C, because that's the way you plan well. Any military strategist that goes into a big battle or starts a big campaign and only has a plan A, he's in trouble. Because as soon as the battle starts, your plans get a little shaky. And the whole COVID thing, scare people with COVID, then it end up killing them by one vaccine after the other where you can decide who's going to be killed. That's falling apart. Too many people realize it. And more and more are going to realize it. So now they're pretending to go the other direction, but it's, it's going to be something else they'll have to put forward because make no, uh, we're going to say, uh, don't fool yourself here. Have no doubt. We're in a war and it's a war that neither side can afford to lose, which means it's for both sides more dangerous than World War II. And you did not hear me wrong there. The German people knew that, okay, if they surrender, most of them knew the Americans aren't going to just start wiping them out. They were afraid the Russians might. That's why they all want to be on the American side, not on the Russian side. But even the Russians didn't wipe them all out. The Japanese, except for the extreme fanatics, they knew, well, if we have peace with America, they might dominate us for a while, but you know they're not going to kill us all. But we're in a situation now where the one side that wants the new world order, maybe you believe that Klaus Schwab 
and his gang and George Soros and all these New World Order people, the leftists, but also extreme rightists because there's not much difference. Maybe you think their vision for the world was to have a, a world with a growing population and we're all live in one big happy green environment. No, no, they know that can't be if the population grows. They want the, Their plan is to kill off most of the world's population. And I'll say it that plainly, I'm not the only one. I recognized that almost a year ago. More and more people have woken up to that. That's their plan. And it's a genius plan that they've implemented. But they know for that reason, once the truth comes out about them, they are dead. They're going to be arrested, not just thrown in prison. They're going to be recognized as some of the worst mass murderers in all of history. And they're going to be executed. So they cannot afford to lose. And our side, I would say the good side, definitely, we cannot afford to lose because if we lose, we're dead. You see, you see what's going on here. Therefore, I predict that other big things are going to happen. It could be a great economic collapse. I'd say the probability of that is at least 60%. Even if something else bad does happen, the great economic collapse, and it's not going to be pretty. You think 2008 was bad. That was nothing. You think 1929 was bad. That was nothing compared to what could be hitting our way now. And no, I'm not a weird conspiracy theorist. I back up everything I say. And it's totally rational if you look at the world situation right now. So get ready for, <laughs> don't forget, at the end of, uh, at the end of 2020, somebody put in Facebook the last day, December 31st, 2020, after that difficult year with the, the election <laughs> and election fraud and everything else happening, COVID, you know. Saying, oh, I'm so glad 2020 is over. Well, I'm looking forward to 2021. I say, if you think 2020 is bad, look, wait till 2021. And now we've seen what Biden, I'll just say Biden now, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, has done to the world in America. Look, look the direction things are going. And I'll say this for 2022 as well, even though we're already in February. A lot of things are happening now and bigger things are coming our way and not all of them are going to be pleasant. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. On the other hand, I'm not saying mine is the only solution. I don't have solutions for everything. For a lot of them, I do, <laughs> but not for everything. And it's the people that have come up with the solutions. But first, the people have to recognize what has been going on. So I hope I've given you like a double lesson here about what's going on now in society. At the same time, how to become a successful totalitarian dictator. You follow these steps, even in a small, try it out in your college, in your classroom, recognize a problem, exaggerate it, and then say, I have a solution. And I'm your next candidate for class president. See if you win that election using these steps. Because they work. And that's why they're being done today on a mass scale such as never before. I hope you've enjoyed following me down this rather difficult, thorny, and rocky path of the path of Socrates. At least this, this stretch of it has been. Because this is quite a subject, right? How to become totalitarian dictator. I, of course, it's tongue-in-cheek. Don't, don't say David Bolton wants people to become totalitarian dictators. No, no, that's not the message here. This is irony, sarcasm, right? But just in case you do think, oh, I'm tired of being an accountant. Uh, what else could it be? How about a totalitarian dictator? Now you know the steps that you should follow. Hoping that this has been educational for you, informative, and maybe even more than a bit humorous. I take my leave now, wishing you all well, all of you especially who are on the path of Socrates. Till next time, bye now.